Welcome. We are excited today for a few reasons. Mark Malyu is here and Heath is here. Um, the only announcement I want to draw your attention to, that in, otherwise you can read the rest of them, is that we will have a reception to welcome Heath and his family next Sunday after his ordination service. He's already ordinated. We hired a regular, a real preacher. He will be installed at our church next Sunday night. Okay. <clears throat> Please stand for the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Please remain standing as we sing number, hymn number 76, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven.
Our Father, thank you for being here with us today and receiving our invitation to worship with us. God, our prayers that you find it pleasing to us and are pleasing to you and glorifying to you and edifying for us. God, uh, go with us through the remainder of this service as we seek to worship you in spirit and truth. And we follow the example of the prayer that you gave your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. To hear from Mark Mail, you with his missions report. If you would like to go up there, you can, or you can make and turn that on. Okay. Is it on? Testing. I'm technically challenged. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, just a word to thank you. This has been a supporting church of ours now for. 40 years maybe, before some of you were born, before a lot of you were born. <laughs> so we, yeah, you, know, you know, you've heard it before, I, I'm Roman Catholic family background from Rhode Island, saved in India indirectly through Francis Schaeffer's ministry. We worked in continental France for a dozen years. I went to seminary in France and met my wife there. I was saying it's sort of a package deal vocation. We worked with the French that was tough because the French are notoriously unreceptive to the gospel. We, on furlough, ended up in South Florida where there are 30,000 Frenchmen, about a million Haitians, French-speaking, most of them. And, and last year we had three million Canadians visit our state. So we started doing radio broadcasts for them, ended up doing a lot of teaching in the f seven French-speaking islands in the Caribbean for a number of years including Haiti, which is now off limits. For a while, I was going to Haiti four or five times every year, and, and now I haven't been able to go back there in the last several years. Where In all of these French-speaking places, the gospel is spreading. The church is growing numerically, but it's a mile wide and an inch deep because they need basic teaching, such as we get in our seminaries here, and they don't have there. So... Um, so, hence the reason for the radio broadcasts were more aimed at the French-Canadian tourists, so it was more evangelistic. Right now, for the number of years I've been doing, uh, since COVID started, broadcast on YouTube. For those of you who want to practice your French, you just go to YouTube and type in my name, and you can listen to five, seven-minute meditations that I started doing because my brother-in-law, in, who's a pastor in France, asked me to do, help him out that way, and, and they've been receptive. And, they, they enjoy them, so we can continue doing them. For the last 10 years, I've been going to mostly West Africa. In April, I was in um, Ivory Coast. I know that there are 54 countries on the African continent, 22 of which are French-speaking. In situ similar situation there, unlike continental France, where church growth is slow, and in Africa, the church is growing rapidly numerically, but they need... They need teaching in French, so that's the reason for our ministry. We've been bringing down study Bibles, French study Bibles, for the, you know, for the select few because you can only carry so many in your suitcase. So, 
And the last time I was there, and this is a, you know, a good ministry investment, we, with ministry funds, bought a motorcycle for the pastor in the town where we've been teaching in Mount Ivory Coast, in the western part of Ivory Coast. This is a country about the size of New Mexico, 30 million people, about 40% Muslim, about maybe 20% Christian, and a lot of animists, but the people very receptive. All I'd like to uh, conclude by asking you to give us, pray for that we would have discernment so we could finish well. I'm 69 now. I'm not sure how long I can keep doing this. Every time I fly back from Africa, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, getting old. <laughs> but I mean, so we want to finish well. So pray that we'll have discernment and know how we can make the best use of uh, whatever time the Lord is, gives us before we before we have to hang it up, so to speak. Uh, so <laughs> pray for your for discernment for that, and thank you again for being part of this ministry for all these years. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. We're thankful for the work of missionaries all over this globe who are doing the work of spreading the gospel. And we do lift up Mark to you and pray that you would, as his request was, that you would help him to make the best use of whatever time is remaining for him to do this work. We pray that you would bless him and that his ministry would flourish. On this uh, Father's Day, as we come to you, we want to thank you for our earthly fathers and that you ordain the family as the institution through which uh, you would populate this earth and through which a primary means through which you would spread the gospel through covenant families. I want to pray for... Betty Forster this morning and ask that you would uh, continue working your healing and relieving her pain in her shoulder. I also want to give thanks for the birth of safe, healthy birth of Sylvia Ellis Miller and pray for the Millers, their family, that you would uh, bless them and keep them in these days as they adjust to life with the joyful life of having a new baby. Father, I want to ask this morning that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, we might have strength together to comprehend with all the saints the height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and that we would know the love of the Father as we hear these words sung, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Now, Father, you, we oscillate between feeling deeply loved and welcomed and accepted by you versus feeling vile and sinful and unaccepted. But the truth of the gospel is that we are vile sinners, but that Christ has come and taken the penalty of our sin upon him Self, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Lord, give us a sense of the love that in reality you've lavished upon us on this Lord's Day. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, who was rich for our sake, became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. And so we dedicate this offering to you now in gratitude and ask that you would use it for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's remain standing as we sing hymn number 140, A Word of God Incarnate. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll be reading together verses 14 through 18. Uh, before I read it, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to come now before your word and... 
just bask in the glory of Christ, uh, to see it trace his picture as the hymn we've just sung says. So make him real to us. Show his glory to us. Send your spirit now uh, to help us read, mark, learn, and inward, inwardly digest what you would say to us here. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Second Corinthians 3, starting in verse 14. Hear God's word. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this ends the reading of God's Word. So when I had much less uh, gray hair in my beard, actually, when I had no gray hair in my beard, I listened to a talk at a conference. I think it was Together for the Gospel 2006, if memory serves me, by John Piper called Why Expositional Preaching is Particularly Glorifying to God. And he said something in that talk that radically transformed the way I looked at ministry, the way I looked at preaching, and really the way I looked at my own life. And uh, this is part of what he said. He said, showing people the glory of Christ is God's way of changing people. And if you say to me it doesn't work, then I think you should keep on doing it anyway. There are so many people who make quick judgments about what works and what doesn't work and then leave such a clear text for some new technique of changing people. People are changed the way God wants them to change, not the way you want them to change. God wants them to change by beholding Christ's glory. Suppose you do find another way that works. Have you produced what God wants? Namely, glory-seeing, driven change. If you produce another kind of change, God may not be interested. He wants the kind of change that comes from beholding the glory of Christ. Our job is to make that glory seen. That's the only way God wants to change people. End quote. So here's how what Piper says there changed me. First, it showed me at the time as a young preacher who was asking, what on earth am I supposed to be doing up here? There's a thousand different ways of preaching. Um, Piper said, the goal of it is 2 Corinthians 3. It's that beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into that same glory from one degree to another. And this comes from the Spirit of God. It's showing people the glory of Christ because that's the way God changes people. It's not through me manipulating you. It's not through me being very clever and telling the best stories in the world. It's through showing the glory of Christ. The second thing this showed me was that if I wanted to change, that the way I was personally going to change 
was by beholding the glory of Christ. It wasn't through self-help books. It wasn't through reciting the Ten Commandments to myself over and over and over again, saying, obey, obey, obey. God wants glory-driven change in our lives. So I'm starting a series today as we continue to get to know each other. Um, I'm going to lay out over these next couple of months kind of what I see as the purpose of the church and what I see as the purpose of the ministry and kind of how I will be dealing with you. And, and I hope that this will catch, of course, because it's straight from the text of 2 Corinthians 3. I call it transfigurational living because uh, the idea in the text when Paul says in verse 18, his summary of the Christian life is that beholding the glory of the Lord, we, be, we are being transformed. That's the word metamorpho, which is the same word used of the transfiguration of Christ. His clothes began to shine. His glory began to show. So what Paul is telling us is that as we behold that glory, we are more and more being conformed to the glory of Christ. Uh, Paul is saying, as surely as a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, Christians, by degree, by degree, by degree, are being transformed into the glory of Christ. And to the point when we stand before Jesus, when he returns, or when we go home to him in as he's bright shining as the sun, we're going to be saying as we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we're going to be transformed into the very glory of Christ. That's glorification. Sanctification, the other fancy word for growth in the Christian life, means slowly, degree by degree, we're becoming more like him in this life. If you want that, if you've seen enough of Jesus that you know you actually want to be like him, the question becomes, what's keeping, what's keeping you from getting it now? What's slowing you down? What's slowing your progress? And so I want to talk about that. What's keeping us from more and more reflecting the glory of Christ? I want to talk about two things that hinder our growth. And I want to talk about one thing that actually can help us grow more into the image and likeness of Christ. So first, the things that hinder our growth. Number one. I'm going to call this, I actually alliterated today, and I never do this. So it's a special occasion, my first full-time Sunday with you. I decided to do an alliteration. Literalistic looking, that's number one. Verse 14 says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So Paul uses two words here to describe the internal life of a person reading the Old Covenant, reading the Old Testament. One is mind in verse 14, the other is heart in verse 15. He says, the Jewish people who had refused to come to Christ, their minds were hardened and their hearts were veiled. In other words, when they read the Bible, when they read the Old Covenant, they saw it only externally with the physical eye. It was not having an internal impact on their minds and on their hearts. They saw letters on a page. Right? They saw words in black and white or words carved into stone. They saw stories. They saw commands. But in their minds and in their hearts... They didn't see the glory of Christ, which the entire Old Testament was meant to point them to. And the same problem, we can experience the same problem, because we cannot physically see Jesus. 
But Paul says we are supposed to see Jesus. When we read the Old Covenant, when we read the Bible, we are supposed to see the glory of Christ. But sometimes literalistic looking can keep us from seeing what God actually wants us to see. Now, how can I illustrate that, try to explain what I'm saying? Well, here's one. Years ago, I was giving my testimony to a group of children. And the first words out of my mouth, I stood up in front of this group and I said, I'm going to tell y'all how I met Jesus. And as soon as I got those words out of my mouth, a little kid just blurted out, You met Jesus? And I had to think on my feet, and well, how am I going to explain this to a seven-year-old? But she's literalistically thinking, this guy's standing up there saying he met the physical Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth. Well, I did, but I didn't, right? I've never physically encountered him. But in my mind, in my heart, I've met him, and I had to try to explain that to a child. See, meeting Jesus isn't the same as walking up and shaking hands with somebody and saying hello. It's something that happens internally through the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Another one, um, y'all will probably, my, my previous church heard this story dozens of times. You will probably hear it dozens, dozens and dozens of times before I'm done. But I preached a sermon uh, years ago on looking at the cross, looking at the cross. Right? And I would say something like, looking at the cross can change how you view everything. Like you want to think about your marriage and I'll look at the cross and ask, how does the cross impact my marriage? Think about your relationships. Think about your finances. Think about the way you're managing time. Look at the cross, uh, managing time. I read someone years ago said, you know, we all have clocks on the wall now. People used to have crosses on the wall. And uh, a cross can affect the way you view time more than a clock can in many ways. Not, but I'm saying this. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Well, like here... We're not, Presbyterians are not big on images. So we didn't have any crosses in the sanctuary. And so a lady comes up to me after the service and says, you keep telling me to look at the cross, you don't have any crosses in the building. And I said, very gently, that's not what I was saying. She would kind of missed the point. It's, a, it's an act of the mind, right? It's an act of the heart. We're looking at Jesus and what he's done for us internally. And see, this is why Jesus, over and over again in the Gospels, just read them. He's walking up to these religious leaders and he's saying, having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? They were standing in front of the physical Jesus of Nazareth, but in their hearts and in their minds, they didn't understand who he was. They saw a guy when they saw him. They didn't see glory. Glory is something that's beheld in the heart. At the transfiguration, the disciples literally got to physically see his glory. But 99% of the time and always for us, it's something that's done internally. You have to get it out of your head that the only way to see Jesus is through literalistic looking at red letters on a white page. I mean, like the Bible, this whole world is meant to be a theater for the glory of Christ. He is the word that created the world, and everything in this world is meant to point to his glory. Think about the sacraments. I love the fact that God gave us, that Christ instituted for us sacraments that involve physical things like water and bread and wine. Because that's showing us something as simple, something we use every day, water. To wash our hands, uh, to take showers, to take baths, to drink. Something as simple as something we touch every day is meant to point us to the glory of Christ. Something like bread, 
food, stuff we touch, stuff we handle every single day, Scripture says is meant to point us to the glory of Christ. That bread and sacrament is meant to point us that Jesus was, so to speak, baked in the oven of God's wrath for us so that we could be forgiven. Uh, those wine is meant to show us that Jesus was trampled like grapes so that we could experience God's salvation. And years ago, I heard someone say that the church has spent so much time debating how Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, and they hardly ever talk about how Christ is present in our lives every single day. What you're going to find is that if you're a believer, Jesus Christ more and more is becoming present in your life. You're more and more seeing his glory in everything around you, in the scripture, in the sacraments, in church, but also out in this world. But you have to stop with the literalistic looking. He's not going to show up physically. And this Bible isn't going to read, himself, read itself. You have to be in your heart seeking after the glory of Christ. So, number one, it's not a literalistic looking at the glory of Christ. Number two, we need to avoid legalistic looking for the glory of Christ legalistic looking. So in the text, verse 4, or verse 6, going back, this wasn't part of our reading, but here's what it says. God has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Then in verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So over and over again in this passage, Paul mentions Moses and the Old Covenant. Why? Because the Jewish people who were not coming to Christ went to the Old Testament primarily as law. They saw it as rules for how you were supposed to live. And many of us look at the Old Testament and look at the Bible in the same way. You hear people say the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's so beautiful uh, with Jesus' rules for life there. But C.S. Lewis once said, if you read the Sermon on the Mount seriously, you'll find that it's like a sledgehammer to the face because you will never live up to it. Uh, not in this life, at least. And uh, I, I would say our culture is dominated by moralistic readings of the Scripture even to this day. And it doesn't matter which side of the political aisle, which side of the religious aisle you're on. The left looks at the Bible moralistically, uh, famously heard a minister, well, famously in reform circles, a, a PCA minister on a podcast said, the gospel is love your neighbor. It's like, no, you flunk ordination exams for saying stuff like that. The gospel is not love your neighbor. That's the law, okay? That's what Christ is telling you. The gospel is what Christ has done for you. He perfectly loved his neighbor in our place and then died as if he was a sinner for us. And, and that's somebody who leans slightly left. People who lean on the right, of course, are always pounding morality as well. And it's not saying that the Bible isn't full of morality. It is. But we're saying that's not primarily what it's about. Now, again, it's going to take some time for you to get to know me. But uh, I will bring in some quirky things from time to time. And I have been experimenting with the AI program known as ChatGPT. And uh, we can have a talk about that later if you're interested in what that means. It could be the thing that destroys civilization. It could. But I figure Christ is coming back anyway, so I might as well mess around with it. Uh, so I asked ChatGPT, which it's very interesting if you play around it. I asked it the question, what is the Bible? 
to see what it would say. And here's what it came back with about the Old Testament in particular. The Old Testament consists of various books that include historical accounts, laws, poetry, wisdom literature, and prophetic writings. It covers a wide range of topics, including the creation of the world, the history of the Israelites, moral and ethical teaching, and prophecies about the future. What's missing? There's nothing about Christ. There's nothing about the glory of God. There's nothing about the glory of, of Christ. Now, so after I asked Chat GPT what the Bible was, I asked a gentleman named John Calvin. I didn't physically ask him. I, I went to his introduction to the Bible that he wrote to the king of France. And here's, his, here's John Calvin's description of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is Isaac, the beloved son of the father, who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the power of death. He is Jacob, the watchful shepherd, who has such great care for the sheep which he guards. He is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and abject their condition. He is the great sacrificer and bishop Melchizedek, who has offered an eternal sacrifice once for all. He is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing his law on the tables of our hearts by his spirit. He is the faithful captain and guide Joshua, who leads us to the promised land. He is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all rebellious power to subjection. He is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. He is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed all his enemies. This is what we should, in short, seek in the whole of Scripture. Truly to know Jesus Christ and the infinite riches that are comprised in him and are offered to us by him. If one were to sift thoroughly the law and the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw and bring us to Jesus. That's what you see when the veil is lifted and when the heart is softened. You see Christ calling out to you, not only in every word in the New Testament, but also in every word in the Old Testament. And one of the ways that I like to show this, didn't plan on saying this, but it just came to mind, so why not? How does the Old Testament begin? In the beginning, right? You know how the New Testament begins? Well, of course, in John, the fourth gospel, you get in the beginning was the word. In Matthew, the first gospel, it says the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of Abel. Biblos genesios are the first two words in Greek of the New Testament. You know what it means? The book of the Genesis. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. It's telling us, these gospels, the way they begin, they're telling us, this Jesus who the Old New Testament is going to tell us about, he's the one whom the Old Testament is about too. But we can't go to the Old Testament like AI bots who have no soul, who have no real hearts, who have no real minds, and just think, well, it's, it's prophecies, it's stories, and it's law. No, it's, that's a legalistic looking. It's much more than that. If you re- I hold up, I'm going to do this. Bear with me for just a second. All right, that's where my Bible splits. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. Which one's bigger? Yes. The Old Testament is 
two-thirds of the Bible. And that means if you read the Bible, for instance, once a year, you're going to spend two-thirds of the year in the Old Testament. If you don't begin to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, you're going to spend two-thirds of the year miserable. You'll spend most of the New Testament part miserable too because there's a lot of laws there. So legalistic looking at the Scriptures can produce kinds of change in us, but it will not produce the kind of change God wants because he wants glory-seeing, driven change. And that looks to, that points to, uh, leads us to the last point that I want to make. Here's a way of looking at the scriptures and looking of the, at the world that can actually help us. And I'm going to call it listening, looking. Listening, looking. Let's go back to the text. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God, Paul is telling us, to rip the veils off our eyes and to soften our hearts. Because the Holy Spirit, His chief end, what He wants more than anything, our chief end, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And he particularly wants us to glorify Jesus Christ. And the way we glorify Jesus Christ is by seeing and responding to his glory. This is what pleases the Spirit. This is what he delights to do, to show us Jesus Christ. He primarily delights to show us the glory of Christ through Scripture. But Scripture is not the only way he will do it. He'll do it in a thousand ways. Gerard Manley Hopkins, the poet, said, Christ plays in 10,000 places. And it's true. Because the, Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of Christ. Uh, the lilies of the field declare the glory of Christ. The sparrow declares the glory of Christ. The hairs on our head declare the glory of Christ. Human art and invention declares the glory of Christ because we are made in his image and he is the perfect man. The question for us is, are we seeing it? Are we regularly seeing it? Are we looking for it? Now, how do we primarily look for it? Now, here's where it gets a little inter interesting, and this is kind of the crux of the message, what I'm calling listening, looking. I know a man who works in the music industry who gave a TED Talk a number of years ago, and it, the TED Talk was called Hearing is Believing. And so what he did in the TED Talk as a musician is he played a video of an insurance commercial, and it was a very simple premise. There were a group of children playing at the water side of a lake and they have a dog with them and the dog jumps in the lake and makes a splash and they jump in the lake and they're swimming around and they're jumping into inner tubes and he starts to play music on the piano and it's really happy music like i don't know the name of the song but think of something like the william tell overture and you see these children splashing and playing and it's wonderful right and then suddenly he changes the music to something more like Dun, uh. Watching the same video, what changed? They were hearing. It went from those kids are having the time of their lives to those kids are about to die, do something. Just from a little change in music. Listening changed the looking. In the John Piper talk I mentioned at the beginning, he said this, we behold the glory of the Lord most clearly and most crucially in the gospel. So much so that Paul calls it the gospel of the glory of Christ. Which means 
that in this dispensation, when we cannot see the glory of the Lord directly as we will when he returns in the clouds, we see his glory most clearly by means of his word. The gospel is a message in words. Paradoxically, words are heard and glory is seen. Therefore, Paul is saying that we see the glory of Christ not mainly with our eyes, but through our ears. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans ten seventeen, Because seeing the glory of Christ comes through hearing and hearing through the gospel of Christ. So in other words... It's hearing the gospel over and over again that shapes how we see. It shapes how we see the scripture. It shapes how we see the world. It shapes how we see our life. It shapes everything. A meal is no longer just a meal when the soundtrack is changed and the glory of Christ is the primary thing that you're looking for. You know, that passage in Corinthians that says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, legalistic looking at that passage the way I took that when I was a young Christian was I better be careful what I eat and drink. And then as you mature you realize oh, you know, we were in Memphis for General Assembly this past week I ate a lot of good food and you know what? I ate it to the glory of God. Because every time I said thank you Lord, thank you that you didn't only give us food but you gave us delicious food. And you gave us delicious drinks. And, and so, so you're beholding the glory of the Lord because that soundtrack of God's goodness and the gospel is playing in the background as you do something simple as eating. I mean, even something like a movie or a novel. It's no longer just a movie or a novel when you've seen... When you've got that soundtrack of the glory of Christ playing in the, playing in the background. You know, I watch a movie like Braveheart. Or a, which you'll hear me refer to over and over again because I just love that movie. And it's like, that's not just a movie. It's, it, it reminds me that I need a king. I need a warrior to come and fight for me and for my freedom because I don't have the power to fight for it myself. On Father's Day, you think of something like fatherhood and marriage. If you have the soundtrack of the gospel, it's not just fatherhood and marriage because our good fathers are meant to point us to the great father, to God. And our bad fathers, maybe if you've had bad fathers are meant to point us to the fact that there is a Father who is good and who does love us despite the failings of our earthly fathers. And something like marriage, it's like when a husband sacrifices and loves his wife, it's pointing us to the glory of Christ. When a wife loves and submits to and respects her husband, it's pointing us to the glory of Christ. When parents are diligent and faithful to be good parents to their children, to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's pointing us to the glory of Christ. When the gospel soundtrack is playing in the background, it changes the way you look at everything. Now, I'm going to close with this. I can't tell the whole story today, but it's one of my favorite stories. So I will someday. But the sermon that the Holy Spirit used to convert Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, was preached by a layman who, in Spurgeon's word, could barely s- string two sentences together. Spurgeon wandered into a Methodist church on a really snowy day in London, and the preacher couldn't make it because of the weather. And so just a man from the congregation stood up to give an exhortation, and he gave it on Isaiah 45, 22, which says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Or as the King James puts it, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And all the preacher did for his short sermon was he kept repeating, Look at Christ. 
Like, look for you. He's sweating great drops of blood. Look for you. His hands are being nailed to the tree. Look for you. The blood is pouring down his face from the crown of thorns. Look for you. He's dying. Look for you. He's being buried. Look for you. He's rising from the dead. And he pointed at Spurgeon, looked him dead in the face, and said, Son, you look miserable. And Spurgeon was embarrassed. He wasn't used to being called out in church, and I won't do that to any of you today. But he said, You have nothing to do, son, but look and live. That's transfigurational living. Look at the glory of Christ and live. That changed Spurgeon's soundtrack. And he started to see everything in a new way. Here's his quote. I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else that preacher said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked and I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes out. I want to be a preacher and a man and I want us to be a church that is so consumed with seeing the glory of Christ that we could almost look our eyes out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us and thank you for giving us hearts and minds to behold the glory of Christ in our souls. If there's anyone here today who's never seen the glory of Christ in their hearts, I pray that you would use this message by your Spirit to open their eyes. And I pray for those of us who have been so busy with the cares of life that we've neglected to seek the glory of Christ in our day-to-day lives, that you would give us hearts to do so. Forgive us all our sins and give us fresh eyes to see the glory of our blessed Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray it. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 556, 556.
Well, God bless you all. It's always the perfect way to start out a week is with the people of God, in the house of God, in the praise of God. I will be back tonight. I will be preaching from Zechariah 3, and I hope that a, a good number of you can turn out for my first Sunday night here. I'll be making lists and checking it twice. That's legalistic. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but leave now with God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage. Amen.